For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Two games in the books, two W's for the black and gold. UCF now getting set to come home for the first time. When they kick things off Saturday night under the lights of the bounce house. And they get set to take on Tulsa and the Golden Hurricane. What well, is good, Night Nation? Scott Adams here with you, being joined as always by the Dews 04 to 07 at UCF, the standout all conference. They're the defensive linemen, then off to the NFL for nine years and Dews. Two consecutive games in a row in which UCF now averaging 50 points per game. You put the 50-burger up there against East Carolina, and that night defense now through two games, nine, count them, nine turnovers. Ferris was absent nine times. Wow, dudes, give me some quick uh, impressions from a week ago up there in Greenville. Well, Scott, we'll start with the offense. You have to love what Dalen Gabriel did. Again, spreading the ball around. Six different receivers caught a pass from the UCF on offense. That shows great continuity when you're able to spread the ball around like that. I really like what we did on defense. You talked about it. Nine takeaways in two games. If you win the turnover margin, most likely you're going to win the game. And yes, we're not ranked number one in tackle for losses, but we're still averaging seven a game, which is still a, a high clip. So you really have to love it. And the thing that I really love is just not the starters. When the backups come in, they're creating turnovers too. So you really got to love that continuity that Randy Shannon has built on his defense. He talked about it before the season, getting turnovers, getting back to where we were in 2018 with the turnover ratio. And it shows well on the field. Coming up here on this edition of our Two Nights, One Podcast, we get a closer look here at what an unbelievable day for Dylan Gabriel. Sets a a UCF record, 18 consecutive passes in a row. That plain environment from a week ago. The Tulsa game from last year, 2019, the surprise victory for the Golden Hurricane. The first game here in the bounce house, keys to a night victory. And of course, it'll be a little bit of do speak here as we close out every edition of our two nights, one podcast. But Dylan Gabriel here through these two games, I mean, I I know that night fans and rightfully so between Dante Culpepper, between Mackenzie Milton, who was a, a magician, being able to throw the ball down the field, get out and scramble, get in, in, and create plays, keep things alive. You know, these are going to be two of the greatest night quarterbacks we've ever seen, but just a sophomore now here and through 15 games, he has thrown a touchdown in every single game that, that he's played in. Two consecutive games now, dudes, over 400 yards passing he is he is looking like he is on another planet right now playing the quarterback position for this this night UCF fast offense. 
Yeah, definitely, Scott. And you have to love his emergence from year one to year two. A lot of things that confuse him in year one, he's gone out there in year two and he's corrected those things. Looking off defenders, spreading the ball around the field, throwing intermediate passes, throwing a home run pass. Last year, I feel like he was a little bit handcuffed, which you want to do with your freshman quarterback. You don't want to give him too much on his plate. If it wasn't a little curl route or if it wasn't a post or a goal route, then he would find himself into some trouble like he did in the Tulsa game last year. But this year, it seems like Heupel's felt more comfortable with him running the system. He's really opened the playbook, and he's had so many different looks. And he's just looking like he's comfortable. He's playing ahead of the sticks. The offense never really gets behind the sticks. They're never really in third and ten. We're always in third and five or shorter. And when you do that, it opens up the offense, and it's so hard for defenses to scheme against you. So you got to really love what you've seen from my sophomore quarterback thus far going into this year. Marlon Williams, again, dues 15 receptions last week against Georgia Tech. This past week, he had 13 receptions, a buck 36. Mm. Jalen Robinson has been solid. He goes for 150 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, at the Georgia Tech game, Greg McRae gets knocked out. He comes back. He ran hard. This past week, we lose Otis Anderson. His status will now be up in the air. But between Marlon Williams, Jalen Robinson, uh, uh, Josh Harris, Jacob Harris, rather, Jacob Harris. he got a touchdown. We saw Jake Hescock there getting action. You talked about the six, uh, the, how many different night players getting receptions, the amount of tools, the, the weapons at his disposal. This night offense is humming. Yeah, definitely, and, and we talked about this guy. Six different receivers touched the ball. You got to love what you've seen so far in the first two games from, from Jalen Robinson. Like I said last week, welcome to the American Conference, going over 150 yards. And, and Marlon Williams, I mean, each week just proves that he has the best hands in the country. But I think the big question going into last week was who was going to step up when Trey Nixon went down? And it seems that Jacob Harris and Ryan O'Keefe seem like together that they will – be able to step in if, if Trey Nixon is lost for a little bit longer and these these guys can do the job adequately. You said that Jacob Harris went up and made some big-time catches, had a, had a touchdown uh, on, on a slant route, which was very tight coverage, was able to catch that contested passes. Now, I will say this. Our receivers did drop a few contested passes, and, and they have to realize that every, every uh, pass is not going to be a wide open. You're not going to get the Jalen Robinson explosive 48, 50-yard touchdown. That's not going to be always wide open like that. A hypo scheme so you can get that. But uh, they do have to do a better job of catching t contested passes. Really have to love what you see from the UCF fast offense. Dudes, we'll get to the penalties here in, in just yeah. a second. But but two weeks in a row now, this UCF defense and, and Randy Shannon and the rest of this coaching staff, they have made the opposition, the opposing quarterback, who initially coming into this game, Holton Ehlers, has been a pretty solid quarterback in the American. He's thrown for a ton of yards. We expected him to be able to move the ball here against UCF. Both quarterbacks we faced off with have, have been sub 50% on their balls at the conclusion of the game. We talk about the turnovers that this UCF defense, now two consecutive weeks in a row, they have been able to, to put themselves in places to create plays and then guys are, are jumping on and getting fumble recoveries. We had Richie Grant come up with the interception there in the end zone. But this night defense here for two games in a row, they make those in-game adjustments so well. And, and yeah. I think for, for UCF fans, knowing that the offense is going to be able to, to give you points and, and this night defense 
two consecutive games in a row have really not just created turnovers, but they've they've created big time hits to be able to make make those turnovers come to fruition. Yeah, and I think the defense, you know, feels slighted somewhat, Scott, because we always talk about our UCF fast and our offense being explosive, putting up 50 burgers. But as we talked about, our defense is one of the top defenses in the nation. If you go back to last year, leading the nation in nine tackles for losses. Right now, I think we, uh, we're number three when it comes to turnover with nine turnovers in just two games. And and, and this year, on another record pace for tackle for losses, uh, averaging seven in two games um, for the defense. So the defense is like, hey, we know our offense is good, but can we get a little respect over here? Because we're going out and, and putting it on the line. That way our offense can go out there and put up big points. You got to keep giving your ball back to the offense for them to put up those points. So the defense deserves a little bit of love too. And, and you got to love what Randy Shannon has done, especially with those adjustments. Yes, we've given up two first uh, drive touchdowns, but it seems like after that, we stifle people. The only thing I would say is, can we stop giving up those, those first time, those first drive uh, touchdowns? Then we'll be ahead of the eight ball on defense. You're up 41 to seven at the half. You go there into that third quarter, the fourth quarter, you're pulling your ones. We got a ton of guys that were able to get valuable reps there in that second half. And Josh Heupel at the conclusion of the game, and rightfully so, and there were so many people that could honestly say, I have never seen four false start penalties to begin a football game. But, dudes, despite that, and you're, you're first in forever, UCF on that opening drive was able to, to get a first down despite that. So, yes, these penalties... The, the, the offs, the, the, the false starts, the types of penalties that could potentially shoot you in the foot later on. Yeah, you want to get those corrected. But, oh yeah, you scored 41 points. You gave up seven points in a half. And in two consecutive uh, uh, halves, dating back to the Georgia Tech game, that night defense gave up a touchdown in the second half, and they let up a touchdown there in, in that first half. So, yeah, despite the penalties, UCF has been able to, to overcome them. So in terms of correction, these are corrective measures that this night team, you know, started on Monday, I'm sure, and has, <laughs> has gone on all week long in terms of getting some of that stuff cleaned up. Yeah, Scott, and it's almost like you're playing with fire, right? It's like offense can get us out of any trouble, but you have to be careful. Yes, we were significantly better than the first two opponents that we played, but if you look at last year, the Tulsa game, I think everybody in the nation would say that we were significantly better than them, but we had 15 penalties in that game. Turned the ball over three times, and it cost us a game. So you have to be careful, especially with this Tulsa defense. This defense is one of the best defenses in the nation, they will get after you in the run and in the pass game by sending exotic blitzes. So they're going to be doing a lot of pre-movement before the snap. We have to be mentally tough and not have those false starts. Penalties will come. You know, you, you take some of the, the, the active battle penalties, right, Scott? Like a little bit of holding here, a little bit of, you know, defensive pass interference. You take those because those happen within the game. That's you being physical. But the stuff that we can control, the mental aspect, not jumping off sides on defense, not having personal fouls, not jumping off side on offense, those are things that the night players can control. And those things eventually will get you beat if you do not correct them. But it's like you said, yeah, we're playing with fire a little bit because even though we had four, four in a row false start penalties, we still end up getting a first down and driving to score a touchdown on that drive. But those are things that later on in the year, when you have a team like a Cincinnati, a team like Memphis, or even a, a Tulsa team, who has a really good defense that can come back to bite you. 
Yeah, the pre-whistle and post-whistle. I know that's something that this coaching staff definitely wants these guys to, to, to put into perspective and say, you know, when we're in a tight game, these are the types of penalties we, we can't necessarily afford. Dudes, I, I want to quickly talk about here just the that the atmosphere and, or I guess, lack thereof there mm-hmm. from down <laughs> Ficklin Stadium before, you know, coming back here to the bounce house for the first time in, in 2020. But I, I, I want to give these, these, these night players credit. Going out on the road, two consecutive games in a row. You're already playing with that weight on your shoulders in terms of always wanting to to do the right thing, not putting yourself in a position off the field that could affect the ability to play on the field. And then coming into a stadium like last week where I I couldn't even imagine stepping out on there and seeing and looking up in what would typically be a 45, 50,000 people there at East Carolina. Cause that, that's a prideful football program, despite how bad they have been the past yeah. half decade, but give our night players credit for overcoming the lack of atmosphere. Yeah. First and foremost, I would like to give them credit for just doing the right things off the field. As you stated, we've seen it so many times. So many games have been postponed because, you know, teams and programs weren't doing the right things off the field to be able to play on the field on Saturdays and the Knights haven't had that problem. We're going to knock on wood right now to make sure that continues through the year. So you have to first and foremost, give the players credit and then just for them to bring, bring their own energy, right? Scott empty stadium. It's almost like a spring game, spring scrimmage atmosphere for you to be out there and literally can hear the fans talking like the few fans that were there talking up in the stands because there's that minimum of people there for you to have to be able to bring your own energy. And we talked about it last week on, on the, on the, on the show. Like what is the reason that you're out here? That's what you have to cling to while you go out there on the field. Why am I out here? If you hold on to that and cling on to that, then you block out all the fans that are in the stands anyway, because you have a job to do. I really think the Knights and the coaching staff did a great job preparing these guys to get ready to play in the empty stadium this past Saturday. Do speak to this because when you, when you were in school and, and you were playing at UCF there, 04 to 07, and mm-hmm. yes, you're a football player, a scholarship athlete, you've got responsibilities, but there are times when you're going to be able to just be a, a college student. And I think here in 2020, more so than any yeah. other particular year, it's almost forcing these guys to grow up faster than what they, they typically would they're being 18, 19, 20 years old. Yeah, and Scott, we talked about this off the camera. Like, when you pick your college coming out of high school, this is a business decision. This isn't, oh, this school has the best color scheme or they have the best fresh look, freshest looking Nikes. No, this is a business decision. This is big money business in the NCAA, and you're making business decisions. Now, because of coronavirus, it almost shifted you into almost thinking of college football as the NFL, right? Because now there's more responsibility put on you. Before, you know, you had to go to class and you still have to do all that. You had class takers and stuff. But now you have to be responsible outside of football. You can't be in these big crowds. You can't contract coronavirus because you could potentially be able to shut your whole program down for a week or two, cost you games, postpone games, all because you weren't responsible outside the field. So it's more professional aspect of this right now in as far as college football and i try to k- tell kids this all the all the time when you're picking a college this is this is this is a business decision it's not just i just want to go to school here because this is a business decision especially if you have aspirations to do something further in your playing career after college yeah i i just i think i think being a being a, a ucf alum being a a night broadcaster being a a night fan i think night fans should appreciate 
these first two weeks and even everything leading up to the start of the season because, as as you mentioned, there have been so many teams, especially in our conference, exactly that have had to postpone games because of COVID. Speaking of one of those teams who we play coming up this weekend, they had their game against Arkansas State. That was pushed to the wayside. That wasn't because of Tulsa. That was because of the Red Wolves. But we've had other teams here in the league. So, you know, credit to the UCF support staff, the UCF yeah. coaches, and these these UCF players for being able to to go out and put basically a full roster out there on uh, onto the field. So yeah, definitely, they've, they've yeah. done a magnificent job, as you said, the support staff, uh, training staff, coaches, and everybody that has been integrated into this task force to, to keep our players on the field that have done a magnificent job. All right, dudes. Well, here come the Tulsa Golden Hurricane and whatever it is, <laughs> there is a team here in crazy. the league for crazy. whatever crazy oddity that, that it is. They have given us, they've given us maybe the most difficulty out of every, any other team in the league. And, and, and all of that basically it kind of being their 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 championship game or their Super Bowl sort of sort of game when they play UCF because this has not had this team has not had a lot of success. The Golden Hurricane last year they were they were four and eight and there was a lot of questions at the end of 2019 whether or not he was going to retain his job. Philip Montgomery now here Montgomery, in his sixth yep. season, but UCF now here. Coming into this game, I think a lot of players on this team, they had this circled early on, this this game number three, because we all remember what happened that fateful day in a, a chilly Tulsa night where yeah. there was basically kind of the same crowd that we saw in East Carolina and, and Tulsa upset UCF a season ago. Yeah, I think something that's been misconstrued about last year, and I think this is why Montgomery kept his job, is that Tulsa had one of the hardest schedules yeah, in do. the nation last year, not just in the American Conference, in the nation. I want to say, Scott, that out of their 12 games, I want to say they played six or seven ranked opponents. Now, like, for any coach, that's almost unfeasible for you to, to say, like, yeah, we're going to go out here. And, I mean, you always want to win, right? But just from what Tulsa has been through the last couple of years, for 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 team or for people to to go out there and say they're going to win seven games, it was going to be a tall order and a tall task. Now I think that bodes well for them this year because they've been through the fire and they already this year first two opponents. What Scott? Top thirteen teams? <laughs> like I don't know what what total they will have. Draw. They will have three ranked teams to start the year: Oklahoma State, <laughs> yeah. UCF, and Cincinnati. But yeah, you go back to last year. They opened up against Michigan State, who at the time was top yeah. 25. They played Oklahoma State, and then, dudes, they had a triple overtime loss at yeah. SMU. They lost by a point. Mm-hmm. They they lost to, to Memphis, but they hung around right. the entire game. Yeah. And, and then they gave UCF all they could handle. Yeah, and I remember that Memphis game. They actually should have won. Their kicker missed the field goal, and he missed a few field goals that game. But, of course, versus UCF, he sunk the field goal to beat us. But that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles. So I think that's lost in its translation that Tulsa for the last two years has had one of the toughest schedules in the nation. And they've lost most of those games by one score or fewer. So this is a team that is, believes in their head coach. They go out there and compete. There's no quit in this team because even though they went four and eight, they literally fought in every single game that they lost. So And as you saw last year, we went up to Tulsa, small crowd late in the year. 
think most teams would just lay it down and get ready for next year. Well, not Tulsa. They went out there and they gave the Knights everything they could handle, and they won the game. They cost three turnovers. I think we didn't help ourselves by getting 15 uh, penalties, as we talked about. That aided in us taking a loss versus Tulsa. But this is a team that likes to get after it, and they, they've owned UCF, to be, to be honest with you. They've owned UCF going down the stretch. I think my senior year, we beat them twice. We beat them during the regular season and then in the conference championship. But since then, Tulsa has really had UCF's number. This will be the 12th overall meeting between these two schools. Tulsa with the advantage 8-3. to three. They have won three games in a row. Dudes, yes, we have the second, lar- uh, second longest win- uh, home winning streak in the nation at 21, just behind Clemson. And the last team to beat UCF at home? <laughs> Oh, by the way, was the Tulsa Golden Hurricane that back in storyline? That's right in 2016. <laughs> All right, so let's let's take a look here quickly at this Tulsa team. What to expect from them? They had the 16 to seven loss to open the season against Oklahoma State. That was September 19th. Remember, they had the, the Arkansas State game pushed to the side because of the COVID uh, positive test. They had the lead there in the fourth quarter uh, against yep. Oklahoma State before surrendering the final 13 in the game. And Zach Smith, who UCF fans <laughs> from that game a, a season ago, he he's a solid quarterback here in, in the American. He's the, the, the former transfer from Baylor. Mm-hmm. You know, he can throw for over 300 yards, and at, at times he'll be able to pick up some first downs. He can he can run with the football. And they've got a pair of really good backs that, that are returning this year offensively in the backfield. Yeah, now the thing about Shane Smith, as you said, I mean, uh, Zach Smith, is he's a transfer from Baylor, and it's a guy that had five 300-yard games last year, Scott, threw for over 3,200 yards. He has NFL aspirations, and and a lot of guys, Todd McShay, more specifically uh, the first week versus Oklahoma State, said that he is considered a mid-round grade as far as third to fifth-round quarterback. And you see why. You saw the Oklahoma State game, the fade that he throws for the touchdown in the back of the end zone was pinpoint where only his receiver can catch it. And those are some of the things that scouts really like about Shane Smith, his accuracy. He completed over 64% of his passes in the first game versus Oklahoma State. So this is a guy, if you give him time, is very accurate with the football. And you stated it before he got hurt in the game versus UCF, was kind of picking our defense apart. This is a guy that plays at a high level and they have a really good quarterback at Tulsa. Well, defensively, a, a season ago, they would give up almost 400 yards per game. They gave up 31 points per game. They replaced five of six of their, their top tacklers, their best, maybe their best defensive player there on on the the. Uh, on the defensive line, that being pass rusher Travis Gibson, he yeah. he moves on. So, you know, coming into this game here today, where this night offense, or on Saturday rather, where this night offense is is humming, they're beginning to gel. I mean, when you see a quarterback throw 18 consecutive passes in a row, there's a rhythm that is starting to churn, and and UCF is going to be in the bounce house for the <laughs> first time in sort of a, a, a an atmosphere. We'll have those 11, 12,000. And then yeah. obviously that in-game entertainment is always so good of really riling up the crowd for, for players out on the field. Yeah, definitely. And this defense is not the same defense as last year by any means, Scott. If you look at that first game versus Oklahoma State, Chuba Hubbard, a guy a lot of people consider a, a top pick for winning the Heisman this year, 
They held him to under 100 yards, and not many teams did that last year versus Oklahoma State. They actually held the Cowboys to 2.8 yards per rush. This is a defense that likes to get after. They have a, a preseason All-American linebacker in Zayvon Collins, and this dude is huge, Scott. 6'4", 260 pounds. He will come downhill, hit you in the mouth, and this defensive coordinator really likes to send exotic blitzes. This guy is dangerous when he blitzes. Had three sacks, Scott. Leads the nation right now. Three sacks in that game, four tackle for losses, which also leads the nation in, uh, as far as tackles for losses per game. Uh, and this and this defense will get after you. Yeah, he played that hybrid spot a, a season ago for for Tulsa. He would line up there on a rush end, but also would play a little bit of linebacker. Was second on the team with ninety seven tackles and the three sacks. Yeah, that's that's something that that you keep your eye on. I think the good thing here with this UCF offensive line now through two games is is getting some continuity amongst those four across or make that that five across. And Jake Hescott, obviously, you can throw there uh, into the mix as well. Still awaiting Parker Boudreaux. Hopefully we'll, we'll get maybe his first glimpses here of 2020 coming up on on Saturday. But But you like the way the offensive line has played thus far through these two games. Yeah, you have to love it, Scott. You actually have to love the depth. We've had uh, so many players play. You know, Parker Boudreaux has been hurt. So, you know, other guys have had to step up. And even at offensive tackle, Sam Jackson has been able to play, uh, what, four of the five positions, played both tackles, both guard spots. And then also you got Tatum at right tackle and Big Ed Collins. So we actually have great depth at offensive line. As soon as we get Parker Boudreaux back, it'll be even greater depth. And you've really seen the continuity and, and the gelling of the offensive line. Now, we started off slow last week with a couple of false starts. But besides that, you know, Dylan Gabriel was kept upright most of the game. Yeah, that second quarter has just been explosive here through the yeah. first two games for for the Knights really beginning to pour it on when they start to to really click here and start to see what those defensive schemes are that are being thrown at them there against Georgia Tech and then there against uh, East Carolina. Deuce, let's talk maybe some keys here coming up on Saturday. You get the two games on the road, finally get back here to the bounce house. We'll have a bye week after that and then go back out on the road against a, a Memphis team that, just like UCF, they're top three teams between Cincinnati, Memphis, and UCF there in, in the American pecking order. But we're going to see maybe offensively here against Tulsa early on under the lights of the bounce house. We have to run the ball effectively. If you, if you look, we talked about it in the first week versus Oklahoma State. They kind of made Oklahoma State one-dimensional. Everybody knows Oklahoma State likes to run the ball anyway with Chuba Hubbard, but they weren't effective doing it. They only averaged 2.8 yards of rush. So if UCF can be effective in the run game, and we don't know the status of Otis Anderson, so I'm looking at Greg McCray, Bentavious Thompson, and that offensive line that we just talked about. If we can average close to four and a half, five yards of carry, that bodes well because now you're looking at second and five, second and six guy, and the playbook opens up, and you really can catch his defense off. Uh, you know, you can catch his defense not knowing what to do, whether they're playing the run or the pass. The thing is, if they're able to not let us run the ball effectively, they have big physical guys on defense. If you look across the board, Allie Green, their corner, six three. Uh, Kendarian Ray, their safety, six four. These are big physical defensive backs that will challenge you at the line of scrimmage. So it's better for UCF to be ahead of the sticks, be able to run the ball effectively. That way that play action works so well. We can catch Marlon in those their intermediate routes. We could play action and get Jalon Robinson for those big, you know, uh, fade routes or, or post routes for, for six. And then you got Jacob Harris on the outside as a big receiver. 
which is which is going to bode well this week because he's going to be playing against bigger corners to be able to to go up there and contest some of those catches and, and come down with them. All right, dudes, conversely, keys here for this night defense against a, a Tulsa Golden Hurricane offense led by Zach Smith, the quarterback. We talked about this a little bit off the camera. You know, uh, Tulsa comes in with the second most returning rushing yards, but Samari Brooks was lost to injury. And also, Corey Taylor didn't really play that much in week one. So to me, it falls on uh, Daneric uh, uh, Prince and a few other backs for UCF to hold this rushing attack down, make them one-dimensional, make uh, Zach Smith play from behind, make him uh, play on third and 10, third and nine plus. Do not allow them to be effective in the run game. Daneric Prince was very effective versus Oklahoma State last week. I look forward to them. I look forward to them really featuring him as the the feature running back and giving him the ball. He averaged almost six yards a carry. So if UCF can stop that run game and stifle it, force Zach Smith to make all the throws. They already said he's been considered a third to fifth round pick. Well, let's see it if he's playing behind the eight ball. He's he's playing at second and ten, third and ten. Let's see how well he bows against that UCF defense that's really been humming the first two weeks. Yeah, dudes, I think that's a, a, a really good point because I don't think offensively they are built to be able to come back from a, a two-touchdown sort of deficit or, or even more so. So I think you're right. Yeah. If, if, one, if we can get them to be a one-dimensional team and it be Zach Smith, well, let's see, let's see what, what he's got. So I think that's a, a pretty solid point. All right, dudes. Well, it should be fun. I mean, back finally in in the bounce house. I know there's tons of, of night fans that are looking forward to seeing that atmosphere. Now, they might not be able to be in the building, but seeing it on TV is, is another thing. We will have that 11, 12,000 that will be in attendance and those that will be there inside the bounce house. I, I, I know that that it's going to be it'll be a special moment when they step out onto the field for the first time at home in this weird, wild 2020 covid world we live in oh yeah scott there's nothing like stepping into the bounce house now it won't be the traditional bounce house where we 45 50 000 going crazy da, 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 da. but we'll still have you know 10 plus 11 000 people there so it'll be great just to be back home and and hear the night nation in the background and and zombie nation because you know so much the defense especially really feeds off that like we said it won't be the traditional bounce house but it'll be a, it'll be a miniature bounce house. We'll call it a miniature bounce house. <laughs> I like that. I like it'll be kind of like the the slight reverberation bounce house. Exactly. We'll, we'll have some of those <laughs> students at least being able to make some noise in in those bleachers in in the end zones. All right, dudes, we'll kick off coming up 7.30 Saturday night from East Orlando. We close things out as we always do here on Two Nights, One Podcast with a little dues speak, which for those that aren't quite familiar with it, every single week, dues comes up with some sort of saying from a, a former coach that he was told, be it at UCF or be it through his nine years in the league. So what do we got this week, dudes? So, Scott, our coach told me this, and I can't remember what, what his name was or which coach it was. And it was like in every war, there's a turning point where there's a battle that helps you win the whole war. So this week, let's see if we can win a majority of our battles, one-on-one battle, whether it's receiver versus DBs, D-line versus the O-line, uh, our quarterbacks versus the linebackers, uh, versus our, our linebackers versus their running backs. Let's see how many of those battles we can win. The more collective battles we win – makes it easier for us to win the war. So let's win these battles. So that way we can win the war and go 1-0 again. 
Yeah, it's those games within the games. And there's so many of them from from a series to then a quarter to then a half to then, you know, 45 minutes in to then, you know, 60 minutes of total football. So individual guys doing their job within that unit and then that unit within the collective whole of the, the defense or, or the offense. It's it's pretty good perspective. I like that one, dudes. I might have to... Might have to steal that one from you. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, we uh, appreciate you listening. Subscribe, like. You can get two nights, one podcast on any of the streaming podcast services of your choice. Deuce, let's go get them. We'll see you on what should be a, a weird sideline there because there's not going to be the same amount of people as we're accustomed to in terms of fans along with support staff. So I, I know this will be a, a unusual for you and I coming up on Saturday, but I'm sure we'll get through it, right? Oh, yeah, it'll be a little different, but hey, this is our new normal, right? It's 2020. You have to adapt just like in college football. You have to adapt. This has been Two Nights, One Podcast. Scott Adams, and he is Leger Doosable. And so, that said, Doos, go Knights. Charge on. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.